you're listening to a Two Jackets podcast. Check out more at twojackets.com. Welcome to Sham Fiction, the podcast where we break the first rule of fan fiction, that you have to be a fan to write it. We're Two Jackets Productions. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. And I'm Marcus. Here's the format. Each installment, Andrew, Eric, or Marcus will be presented with a media franchise that they are unfamiliar with and challenged to write fan fiction about it. We'll start by giving the author some basics, like characters, overarching plots, and those special elements that make each franchise great. The author will then take this info, throw out what they don't like, add a generous helping of creative license, and come back ready to read their masterpiece for all of us to enjoy. It's fan fiction written by non-fans. It's sham fiction. This week's author is Andrew. Well, hello, gentlemen. It's Andrew, and I'm here for you to tell me what I'm going to be writing this week on Sham Fiction. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. Good start. We are excited for this, Mr. Neal. I don't know if you noticed this, but in the last year, Matt Damon has been trapped in space a lot. And we thought yeah. we'd get to the bottom of that and figure out where he first left the Earth. And the answer, of course, is your sham fiction topic, Titan A.E. from 2000. The first time Matt Damon was in space. Really? Wow. Yeah. Man, that's hard to believe. Be it in animated form. I know. He's, he's always in space these days. <laughs> when is that guy ever not in space? Answer me that. I can't. Because he's always in space. He was, he was in space in my Goodwill Hunting in Space uh, fan fiction <laughs> right. that I wrote. Forgot, oh, good. forgot about that episode of Sham Fiction. Oh, man. You should write the, that now. The lost um, episode. Wow. Titan AE. This is an animated film from 2000. It was a Fox film. It was directed by Don Bluth and Gary Goldman. And get this, the writing credits on this thing, Andrew, you're going to enjoy. Oh, wow. So, first writer, it had three and writers, which means three complete revisions of the script. Okay. Uh, Your first writer is Ben Edlund, who you may know as the creator of The Tick. He also wrote Some Angel. (laughs) Interesting, okay. Uh, Second writer is John August. What? Really? Listen to his podcast. Yeah, script notes. Script notes. And the third writer was Joss Whedon. What? <laughs> yeah. Wow. So they just kept bouncing around very good writers and ended up with Titan AE, which is a pretty good movie. Uh, just watched it again this week. It holds up. Cool. So this movie, as we already mentioned, stars Matt Damon, but it also stars Bill Pullman. Yes. Has a little little sprinkling of John Leguizamo. Hey, that bit guy. Of Nathan Lane. We're rounded out with some Janine Garofalo. And some Drew Barrymore. So oh, don't forget Drew. Right on. Man, this, this is like starting your new millennium right. Yeah, this is like the peak of like 90s people power. You know, you got the Garofalo yeah. in there. You got the Pullman, you know, a few years still riding that Independence Day high. Woo! <laughs> yeah, he's been in space. <laughs> you said it. Yeah, so good cast. And where can you get this, Eric? So uh, this one, it's not around the uh, the Netflixes, unfortunately. It's not free on the Amazon if you got the Prime, but you can get the discs, pick it up on a DVD. I don't know if you can get it on Blu-ray. I don't think you can, but you can stream you can. it. Yeah, 
you can stream it. It'll it'll cost you. So you know yeah. your standard standard options uh, for purchasing uh, streaming things. Okay, you can probably uh, so get a used copy anywhere. of it on Amazon for like a penny. So yeah. check it out. Worth going for, for sure. For sure. So this property, this film, this animated thing is so much fun. Oh, this yeah. was one of my favorite. Uh, new things when I was a kid because mm-hmm. I mean this is 2000 I was 12 when this came out so I was like the target market oh, for yes. this <laughs> I remember I had uh, or I had I might still have I'll look around in the in a box uh, for it but I had like the the official novelization of this thing um i that's that's all you can say it's i liked it enough to have the novelization that's a lot uh so what higher praise is there um and i was so surprised re-watching this as i did uh probably about a year ago uh spoiler alert i haven't seen this in a little while so it might be a little (laughs) rusty but i was very surprised pleasantly so that uh this movie held up it wasn't just me being a child and not having good taste that made me love it. It's actually fun. It's a great space adventure, you know, sci-fi sort of western sort of just adventure film. That's yeah. uh, that that's good for the whole family. Yeah, it absolutely is. And I also like Eric had the movie novelization as Yay. well for this film, Yay. which is a strange occurrence that we both I, had I, read I, that. I want to say Scholastic Book Club in Minnesota probably offered this. Could be. <laughs> and I recall that actually being quite good, and you can imagine why, because it was based on the unedited script from Ben Edlin, John August, and Joss Whedon. So there's a lot of material there that didn't make it into the final film for cost reasons. Yeah. And I had not seen this in 16 years. So wow. <laughs> until this week when I rewatched it, it had been a long time, but I still think it held up very well, excepting the uh, <laughs> rough... Vaguely space-related '90s music was oh, yeah. a little bit yes! of a challenge for me. Oh, we got that '90s soundtrack. We got. I assume there's got to be some tone lock in this because tone lock uh, '90s hip hop sensation tone lock does provide <laughs> a voice in this as well. We didn't mention him in the in the main credits, but he's in here. Don't you worry about I... it. You may recognize his dulcet tones from Fern Gully as a salamander. I was worried before. <laughs> And you have alleviated it. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Uh, so it's got the 90s soundtrack. It's got the 90s hairstyles. Yes. It's got the 90s attitude. This brought us out of the, the most amazing of decades right. <laughs> yes, it did. It was just the capstone. Uh-huh. It was how we wrapped it up. Uh-huh. Uh, so let's tell you about this movie. Give you the general plot here. Please so do. So this movie is about Matt Damon's Kale. Okay, and Kale is the son of Professor Sam Tucker, a brilliant creator who invented the Titan ship. Okay, Titan ship is a wonder of humanity. We don't know what it actually does, but this alien race called the Dredge, who are notable for being what, Eric? Uh, made of pure energy. You got it. That's going to come up a lot. The Dredge... <laughs> find out about the Titan Project, and they get really worried about humanity and their possibility of expanding into the galaxy. So they do what any respectable alien race would do, and they come to Earth and destroy it. Blow so it up. Boom. They blow no it up. Earth. Boom, boom. No and more that, Earth. 
That's why, Andrew, Whoa. it's called Titan A-E, because Marcus, what does A-E stand Ooh, for? Can I guess? Can I guess? After? Can I? Can yeah, I? I'm giving you after. That's uh, free. You, yeah, I'll still, uh, uh, after, uh, Oh, you got it, buddy. Earth. After Earth. Oh, he did yes. it. Yes. He did it. Woo. Yes. Titan oh, AE. Yeah. Titan After Earth. Which is why when that awful Will Smith movie came out, I was really hoping it was like a live action retelling <laughs> oh, of Titan AE. Which I still been. hold would be amazing. <laughs> It'll happen. We'll make it. We'll get there. So yeah, that's that's what happens before the credits here. You start off on Earth. Five-year-old Kale gets separated from his poppy. And uh, his dad goes off on the Titan ship. Kale goes off with this friendly alien tech and gets tech is the name of the alien he's not made out of technology okay uh, mm-hmm. and they get off earth just before the whole planet is destroyed all right uh, so I believe we cut tech, to tech 15... is tone lock right is tech yes, tone yep, lock tech is tone lock all right uh then we cut to 15 years later and humanity is just a second class race in, throughout the galaxy this is a Star Wars-style scenario where you have a bunch of different alien races mingling, but humans are the least respected, worst of the worst, because they don't have a planet. And so you've got Kale is working now as an engineer, took after his father. He is a mechanic. He's cleaning things up on a remote outpost. But most of humanity lives in these kind of drifter colonies that are just barely hobbling by. It's like like Space Station basically mm-hmm. right it's like out in space they're not on a planet they're just yes. drifting along uh which which brings about the line that i know you love so much marcus how is it floating how is it floating we're gonna have to have you right then <laughs> just, just anybody uh-huh. like people that's like they're greeting hey man yeah, how's, hey, it floating? how's it floating they, they say it one time which is a play uh, on the most inappropriate greeting how's it hanging or how's your hammer <laughs> hanging uh, <laughs> just in space, you wonder how's it floating. I guess so. Just that was also a new goal of mine after watching this to finally either talk to an astronaut or be in space myself, so I can appropriately ask this question. <laughs> Too good. Uh, so Kale doesn't believe in humanity. Doesn't believe in his father. He thinks humanity was this washed-up race. He doesn't like the Drifter Colony people, and he thinks his father abandoned him. So, whoa, is he surprised when his father's old army buddy, Captain Corso, shows up and says, Hey, kid, you're humanity's only hope. What? And here's a magical ring that you've been wearing this whole time. If I press a few buttons on it, it becomes a map to the Titan, which is kind of a big deal because this was the thing that was so important that Earth got destroyed over it. It's still around. It didn't get blown up. It managed to escape Earth Mm. before it became after Earth. This was before after Earth. It got away. (laughs) B-A-E. It got out of there, and it's hiding somewhere. The dredge, whom we know are made of pure energy, didn't find it. It's still out there, and nobody's been able to find it. But you, kid, you kid named Kale, you can find it because you got a magic ring. Yeah, so Kale, of course, because he doesn't like humans, says, nah, man, I'm not going to do this. But then the dredge, being made of pure energy, show up on the space station and scare him away. So he escapes uh-huh. with Corso, and he meets Corso's crew, which are going to be some of the people who are important to you here. Okay. So let's let's run down that list. Eric, do you want to take us off with right. Akima? So first of all, Akima, mm. which is Asian Drew Barrymore. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. <laughs> and nice. she is... 
I think, probably the most beautiful woman that Kale has ever seen. Because remember, humanity is, a, is an endangered species. He sees this lady and is all like, dang. Dang, dang for real. Dang. I can tell her how it's floating, <laughs> yep. is what he says. So, <laughs> yeah. So she's, she's the pilot. She is uh, from the Drifter Colony. She takes care of herself. She's kind of a bad A- I can say ass in this. She's a bad ass. Yeah, yeah she, she is. Can, she, can, she can punch. She can kick. She's all, And she can fly uh, She can the gun ship. punch. <laughs> she doesn't, but she could. She, she could. <laughs> if she was John Wick, she would gun punch. Uh, so, yeah, that's Akima. Kind she's of the, the pilot, interest yeah. in the story. And she's uh, the pilot. Um, we also got Preed. That's Preed with a P. Okay. P- Preed with a Preed. Mm-hmm. Um, that's Nathan Lane, who is kind of this, uh, subulba looking jackal sort of alien guy who he seems intimidating. He looks kind of evil, but he's an all right guy. Uh, what would you say about Preed? Preed's, he's, he's not like a specialist of any kind. <laughs> he's just kind of around to be intimidating. Yeah, he's, he but can he's hold a gun. he's not the weapons guy. He's not the pilot. He can sort of do anything. Is he the muscle? Sure. Is Does he, like, beat people up? He, he's a little bit of muscle, but he's not, you know, he's just a guy. He's just this guy, He's, you know? he's kind of a, he's a well-rounded uh, character in the character tree. He made his, he wrote out his character sheet. He gave himself a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of strength. Just kind of overall, he wanted to be able to take on anything. That's that's Preed. He's a but useful guy. You're, he, you're second like, in command sort of like guy. Like a bipedal bat jackal monster. So that's, that's important to note. And he has a, a metal plate in his head. Ah, yes. Uh, who else you got? You got Stith. Stith, who is our, like, muscle-slash-weapons expert. Mm-hmm. And that's Janine Garofalo, who is portraying some kind of a weird kangaroo monster with breasts. Yep. So that you know she's a lady. Love it. <laughs> I Absolutely guess. Absolutely accurate, yeah. Yeah, but and she's, she's like weapons expert. And she's, like, 70% legs. She yeah, it's weird. giant legs. It's all over the place. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, lastly, on the crew, you have Goon, who is this weird little quirky guy who is, again, another alien. Um, and that's John Leguizamo. Uh, he's like a scientist, but he looks kind of like a turtle. Like, you'd, you'd imagine it's like a turtle wearing, like, thick eyeglasses. Uh, As all turtles and, do. Yeah, and it's just he's, like, nervous and weird and and socially awkward. And, and he's just, he's good with with computers and stuff because mm-hmm. he's smart uh, yeah there's not much else to say if, if we have some mysterious bit of technology we don't know what, what to make of it we're going to give it to him he's going to put it in his batman computer and he's going to figure something out about it yeah one of my favorite things that happens with goon in this movie is that he builds some sort of device in his sleep yeah. that he doesn't know what it does <laughs> that's right <laughs> what and it, it, it it's made out of a very unstable material, and he put a button on it, so he wants to press the button, but he's afraid to. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think they ever pay that off, either. I don't oh, think does that, he never bu- press it? Yeah, I, honestly, it. it was a year ago that I watched it, so I couldn't tell Maybe you. Maybe it's on the cutting yeah, room floor. This week, and I can't remember. But, uh, yeah, so that's Goon. He's, he's your turtle monster. So all the aliens, as you may have noticed, are different kind of animal monsters. Um, they're, they're aliens, but they... This forms some sort of archetype of some animal being monsters, and they're all yeah, bipedal. You know. 
We got a bat jackal monster, a kangaroo monster, and a turtle monster. We got all the monsters. Your classic crew. So, in other words, Andrew, if you wanted to come up with your own alien race, uh, you could, but they better be described as Earth Animal Monster. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. All sorts of different monsters that you can run into. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, lastly, we got to talk about the bad guys, the dredge. <laughs> what do you need to know about the dredge, Eric? <laughs> I, you know what the the dredge? Here's the problem with the dredge. You can't beat them. You can't beat what? the dredge because they're pure energy. You can't <laughs> beat the dredge. They're pure energy. That's all you need to know. End nope. of story. And apparently, they have the ability to blow up planets. Uh, probably because they got they got plenty of energy to spare. <laughs> They've got energy all around. Yeah. Uh huh. It's as if they're completely made of energy. So the reason that we've been bringing this up the entire time is that there's this line that Bill Pullman says at the end of the movie. He says it to Kale, and Kale's saying something about beating the dredge, for instance. And Bill uh, Pullman turns to him and says very seriously, "You can't beat the dredge. They're pure energy." <laughs> okay. And so that line had yeah. better be in your. Sham fiction. I wrote it down <laughs> it, verbatim. It stuck stuck with me for 16 years. Like that was the line that I remember from this movie. And then it happened last week or this week while I was watching it, and I just got so happy. And then Eric told me the same thing that that was the line that he knew. <laughs> so it'll just that's stick with line. you forever. That's the line that, out of this movie. That's the you one can't line. beat the dredge. I, they're pure energy. <laughs> you know, I wish I knew if that was a, a Ben Edlund or a John August or a Joss Whedon line because I would like to shake their hand, whoever yes. it is. I, I'd like to shake all of their hands, but <laughs> especially for this line. Uh, but what do the dredge look like? So they, they look kind of like elites from Halo, except made yes. out of energy. Yes, so good description. About seven or eight feet monsters that have gun, plasma gun kind of things that they shoot. And there's like the ships. backward, backward bending knees. Yep, backward bending knees. Uh, their ships are interesting because they are essentially the ship from Geometry Wars. So they're <laughs> just this little horseshoe ship made out of polygon. And what? Uh, that's like that's their fighter ships. Um, mm-hmm. And Geometry also pure energy. Wars. All the dredge yeah, stuff, all, pure also energy. Also pure energy. Let's be clear. Like here. if you want to get into this little ship, this fighter ship, you don't open a door and walk in. No, you you like m- mesh through it because mm-hmm. it's energy, and you're in. Yeah. Uh, and here's here's a really important thing to note about this movie and why it is the way it is. Uh, oh yes. Because because computers. Like this is uh this is probably this not the first like a- hand drawn animated film that was helped along the way by computers but this movie takes advantage of the fact that they can make computer animated and modeled items yeah, and very mix heavily. it in mix it in with the hand drawn stuff so the dredge all CG the dredge ships all sh- all CG all the space fight stuff with the with everybody with all the ships flying around it's like all CG it's crazy huh it's yeah, very well done not like i'm not saying it's like old outdated CG it works i mean it's it's low poly it's not a yeah. lot of detail but it's cool it, it's definitely a style that's uh, good yeah. to know yeah yeah that helps and the dredge, uh, you know, Eric and I know this because we're really cool when we read the novelization. Yeah. They hint at it a little bit in the movie. But the dredge basically work like uh, a bee colony. So you have the, the dredge queen, 
and then everyone else is a worker who's kind of an extension of her. So they're very expendable as individuals. Okay. Hive, so that's, that's hive kind of, uh, mind? Is it a hive mind? Yeah. Yeah. That's not clear in the film, but it's, it is. It's there. It can, it can inform your work. And uh, the most important thing to note about them <laughs> is that they're pure energy. <laughs> you can't beat them. They're made of pure energy. Oh, man. Yep, so that's the dredge. Okay, uh, so the let... ultimate bad guys. They just want humanity to stop Stop. So humanity. is there, like, no personality there? There's no, like, key dredge soldier that Kale no. has to battle? They're just nah, this man. unstoppable force of pure energy. You got you it. You got it. All right. So, uh, so you can't the, uh, beat them, kind of truly. T- some tone trope things that I want to mention. Uh, they travel around a lot, and there's always this little green title that pops up, and it's like Chiron Beta Prime. That's Jonathan Carlton reference, but it's it's some <laughs> ridiculous sci-fi planet name or station name. It'll be Greek mythology or real planet or just gobbledygook. So I want a lot of names of the places that they travel to. Uh, we, we talked about how there are tons of different alien races, so invent whatever you want, throw them out there. And, yeah. This is, um, first and foremost, this is a treasure hunt movie. Mm-hmm. Like, this is, uh, we have a map, uh, but it's not a complete map. You can't just go straight from here to the Titan. You have to go along a path. We have to go to this planet where we're going to learn this piece of information. That's going to add to our map, and we're going to go to another planet, and that's going to lead us to another planet, and eventually we're going to get there. So yeah. the idea is, like, if somebody just happens upon this map, it doesn't give up the game because you still have to go through all these steps. So right. that's all this movie is. It's a journey uh, to find the clues to get to the treasure at the end. Yeah, and so tone-wise, this is an animated film, but it was still back when animated films could have some teeth, okay? So this is not done, even though there are some wacky characters, it's not done as a strictly children's movie where everything's safe. Okay. Uh, A lot of the scenes are paced out, kind of like you'd see in Firefly, for instance, you know, where you do linger a bit longer than you would in a typical animated film. People can have more human reactions, and there's a bit of grittiness to it. So that's an important thing to keep in mind when you're writing this. Uh, Also, the map I want to talk about a little bit more. So it only shows up, and it shows up as this glowing circle uh, on Kale's uh, palm when he has the ring on. So that's the significance. It's coded. It only works if he has the ring on because it's coded to his DNA, which is what makes Kale so valuable. Okay. So you can't kill him and take the map. You can't do anything. He needs to be alive to have the map, and he's got to go to the planet's to figure out where the next point is going to be. Yeah, let's give a little recap here, and then we'll give you some potential scenes that you can play with. Yeah, so just um, as a, qu- a question quick. Um, oh, sure. So these guys, the setup, so kind of the structure, what I can kind of build off of is this crew, like, visiting a, a next spot on the next spot on the treasure map. Are they looking for clues? Yeah. Because the map is, like, incomplete, so they have to kind of like follow it. It guides them kind of where they need to go, but they need to find stuff at each location kind of deal. Bingo. That's exactly it. So they know, okay, I got to go to this planet, but then they don't know what they need to do on the planet to activate the map again. Oh, so that's how it, they hop from place to place. So the map, and there could be aliens on the map who the fathers visited before 
who would have something to communicate to them, for instance. Okay, so the map kind of leads them to a location and then it deactivates, and then they have well, to... Well, it's, it's not that it deactivates, it just doesn't tell you the next place to go until you figure out what you need to do on that planet. Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, so there's going to be some condition that has to be met on at the location in order to reveal the next piece of information. Right. Okay, so it's a scavenger hunt. <laughs> Very exactly. much so. Exactly, yeah. You and they got do it. cool stuff. You know, so you've got ice uh, shapes in space, like an ice minefield at one point. One of the planets has these trees that are just floating balls of hydrogen, and if you hit them, they explode. So really think big sci-fi concepts when you're going to planets. Don't just have it be the plain little desert planet like some boring movies. But, <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's my favorite movie ever. Uh, <laughs> but, but go big with it. Okay, big yeah, sci-fi. Make something wacky and different and quirky and weird and not of this earth. Yes, because oh. you got a CG budget, my friend. Yeah, that's it's, good it's to a know. tidy so, yeah, little budget, like, but it's there. Doesn't have to be. Doesn't have to feel. Oh, like here's the desert planet. Here's the forest planet. Yeah. So, right, right. Not Earthbound. All right. Because this mm-hmm. is after Earth. <laughs> yeah. Unless you're writing one of the before after Earth scenes. <laughs> All right. Okay. So yes, I think I'm ready here. This this is good. Um. So this is Titan. Yay. Wait. Recap. Recap. Yes. Yes, uh, Titan AE, sci-fi adventure, family fun film. Um, this uh, st- follows Kale, voiced by Matt Damon, who is the son of Professor Sam Tucker, who is the inventor of Titan, which is this amazing ship that we don't know anything about because it's the treasure at the end of our treasure hunt. Um, so Kale was estranged from his father when Earth was blown up when he was five years old, and now he lives as a scavenger on some sort of like space station thing with a bunch of quirky aliens and thinks that humans are the lowest of the low and have no hope. Until Captain Corso, his dad's old buddy, shows up with a ring that has a map that will lead them to Titan, and Kale is the key because the map only works for him. And so Kale joins the crew, joins Corso's crew, made up of Akima? Was that? I wrote this down and now I don't yeah, know how to pronounce it. Okay, yep. Akima, uh, who is the pilot, badass, beautiful lady. Uh, so that's like Kale is totally into her because. Yeah, Asian Drew Barrymore. Asian Drew Barrymore, because girl. Um, Preed, <laughs> who is Sebulba. Yep. And intimidating yep. like Sebulba. Uh, was it <laughs> Stiff? Like, like yeah, uh, Stiff. Stith. Oh, okay. I wrote that down wrong. Stith, who is a kangaroo lady and the muscle, uh, and Goon, who is John Leguizamo as a turtle. Um, lots of planets, <laughs> lots of yep. aliens. How is it floating? Um, <laughs> uh, you can't beat the dredge. They're pure energy. Um, <laughs> He's oh, got it. The dredge, they're made of pure energy, I forgot to mention. Uh, and they have a hive mind. They look like Halo elites, which I'm hopefully our listeners are nerdy and know what that means. Um, and they fly around in Geometry War ships. Um, I got this. Yeah, this is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the one, one point off clarification I'll make is uh, Kale had the ring his whole life. And so that sounds really nitpicky. Uh, oh. But it's important because even though he hates his father, he never got rid of it. Oh. Yeah, so, lucky. Lucky for humanity, that. Yeah, so, so maybe he still cares at some level. Yeah. Who knows? Uh, and, his um, dad was also Ron Perlman, so that's kind of cool. Ooh. Oh, that's nice. 
Oh, and and about him, um, clarification further. Um, the the, uh, the 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 dredge are pure energy, and you can't beat them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I got that. It's written down. It is here. All right, good. Uh, bonus good. points. Yes. Eric, you take us away. Bonus points. Yeah. First. So uh, mine's easy. It's just invent the best animal monster alien thing. Make make it an alien. Make it different. Make it speak English because all races everywhere speak English. I mean, they look down on the human beings, the human race as a subspecies, and yet they're all speaking their language <laughs> conveniently for for us, the audience at home. Well, this is uh, the 31st century, so who knows what language they're speaking? Maybe they translated it for us. Oh, in sure, the audience. Sure, Marcus. Yeah. Take away <laughs> the. the <laughs> the human uh, element of all of this. I think they are so influential in the, the universe <laughs> that everyone is speaking human language, which, as we all know, is called English, the only language go. of the humans. You got it. Especially Duh. at the Chinese colony they go to. Yep. Makes a <laughs> lot of sense. Anyway, best animal monster alien thing. All right, go. animal monster alien. Got it. Yep. And, and, if it's, and if it's a woman animal monster alien, it needs to inexplicably have mammalian breasts. Yes, um, even if it's like an insect uh, or something yep. or a reptile. Yep, yep. Such a weird sci-fi trope. Yep. Okay, uh, so my point is going to draw on some of the information that we may have... I don't know if we were clear enough on it previously uh, regarding the dredge that they are pure energy <laughs> and you can't beat them. Uh, so my bonus points are that make it plot relevant that the dredge are pure energy. So have that mean something in your scene. That's you good. You what I'm saying? Uh, I think I'm picking up with your putting down. So it's not just like I throw the line in there willy-nilly. It's that the pure energy parts is like part of the challenge, right? Like it, it yeah, factors yeah, into it's, it. It's part of the challenge or the solution. I mean, you've watched some Pokemon. <gasps> you know how to fight electric creatures. Yeah. Yes. Maybe that's what you do. Maybe so, the types of weapon has to be special. I don't or know. maybe like you can't uh, just like uh, eat a hot dog with them because uh, they don't eat hot dogs because they're made of pure energy. I don't know. Like it, it, it affects everything. There are so many questions about how they exist yes. being made of pure energy. Uh, go crazy. Yeah, I love so it. That's, okay. that's my bonus points. Got it. Got it. All right, brother, you get out of here. You write us some Titan after Earth. And, you know, double bonus points if you include Jaden Smith. Um, and oh, no. And we'll, uh, we'll enjoy oh, it. No. I, I think I might fail by the sounds of Eric's reaction here. <laughs> all right, so no Jaden. all over again. And no Will. Even though this is right after Independence Day and Bill Pullman's in it, no Smiths. Zero Smiths. You got it. All right. Well, I'm Zero Smiths. All right, Matt Damon, Lost in Space. Got it. All right, I'm out of here. Hey, Sham listeners, if you like the show, there are two things you can do that'll really help us out. The first is subscribe. You'll get a new episode every week in 2016 without fail. That's our pledge to you. And that'll be delivered automatically to your device. Beyond that, you can really help us out by writing a review. Let other people know what the show's about, what your experience has been. And if it's positive, all the better. If you don't feel like you can write a positive review, think about it as a writing challenge. You think you're better than us? Write a sham fiction of a good review. Make us believe that you believe in us. I know you can do it. Anyway, thanks for listening.
All right, while Andrew is off writing, let's get to our favorite part that doesn't involve Andrew. Predictions. Eric, what do you think is going to happen? What are your secret bonus points? What is Andrew Neal's, Joss Whedon's, John August's, Ben Edlin's Titan AE look like? I'm glad you asked. Uh, I'm, 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 I'm hoping for the line, how's it floating? Obviously. <laughs> I'm hoping that's the only line. If it opens with that, I think he'll just get all the points. Um, mm-hmm. It doesn't matter where it goes from there. I just, you know, open with that and you're good. You're good to go. Um, but it's Andrew and it's a space action sort of adventure. Um, I want a lot of violence. I want a lot of bloodshed. Um, and I, oh my gosh, I really, really hope that they fail to beat the dredge. Because you can't. Well, you can't beat the dredge. Yeah, they're pure energy. So uh, he's actually going to lose points in my book if they beat the dredge. So that's all I got. But what about you? What do you think? I'm actually going to hedge here on the secret bonus points. Because in the past, we've talked about how violent Andrew is when we give him the yeah. chance. And he's disappointed us every I mean, time. Yeah. So I'm going to predict another disappointment. <laughs> and I hope I'm wrong. <laughs> that's nice. going to just have... The, the Titan AE crew having tea or Aww. something. See, I'm just always holding out hope because it's my favorite side of Andrew. The one where the children's show becomes like the horrible murder machine. And uh, we haven't yes. seen it very much in the show, but I know it's in there. I know it's in there. I hope we haven't suppressed it too much. <laughs> All right. Well, one of us is going to be happy. And at least one of us, I guess that's it. Really one, <laughs> one of us. You know, one of us could be unhappy, but I, I don't think that's generally the case. So it's all just gonna gonna say yeah. that. It's uh, hey Andrew, come back in here. <laughs> Gentlemen, I have returned from an excursion into deep space aboard Ooh. some vessel. <laughs> <laughs> You're being as specific as I was in the prediction section. <laughs> We're really keeping this vague and loose for the listeners out there. You might hear a story of some kind, perhaps. We're keeping it loose and floaty here on Sham Fiction. <laughs> Gross. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> All right. You guys ready for some, I'll say it, Titan AE action here? Oh, is that what we're doing? I'm so ready. Yeah. I, 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 I sh- bring on the Jaden Smith. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, you wrote the wrong that, thing. <laughs> nor is it Remember the Titans. There will be zero Denzel in this. Not. Zero Denzel. Yeah. Well, you just lost points. Oh, dang it. I shouldn't have said anything. I guess anything. we have to hear it anyway. I'm choosing the wrong things to give away right mm-hmm. now. All right. So let's do this thing. Ready, guys? Yeah. Ready. All right. This is Andrew Neal's rendition of Titan A.E. A disturbance, sudden and severe, it shook her utterly down to the smallest piece of herself. In a flash, she saw a column of bright light towering up into an unknown atmosphere and beyond, but the sight quickly vanished. She had experienced similar sensations recently, but each time the vision had been different. These disturbances had been coming to her with increasing frequency and power. She had anticipated it this time, as she had the last, but it was nonetheless troublesome to her. 
a pattern was emerging, and she was unsure to what end. No matter. This time, she was prepared. Billions of reactions began to surge within her white-hot core. Using the fuel she had amassed since the second disturbance, she fused particles together and pushed them toward her surface, where she had been storing excess magnetic energy. As intended, when the particles reached her surface, they forced the magnetic streams to cross and explode into violent flares, which jettisoned the particles outward into the black void at magnificent speeds. Each of them were a part of her. Everything they touched, she would see. Everywhere they went, she would be there. She would find her enemy, and she would destroy it. Information flooded her almost immediately, a deluge of stimuli so immense it would have caused any biological organism to go mad. In fractions of an instant, she saw every body of matter in the nearest three solar systems, as well as her own. Every planet, asteroid, rock, organism, and molecule came into crisp focus for an amount of time too brief to be a moment, before dissolving into unconscious darkness, stored for future recollection if required. As wave of particles reached further and further into space, more and more came into her view. She would find her quarry before, her quarry before long. Of that she was confident. Reconnaissance waves like this were how she learned about the galaxy and made it her own. She had studied the intelligent inhabitants of every planet and monitored their development. When a society became too advanced, she would become an army and destroy it. So many had fallen to her wrath. The cephalopod soldier race of Calamarian. The passive tree-dwelling marsupial men of Eucalyptia. The hairless bipedal apes of... Boom. A heavy pulse rippled through her, traveling inward to her core. Another disturbance? No, it couldn't be. Surely it had to be a residual wave from the previous. But why did this feel stronger? What was happening? A flash. Anticipation. An emotion. She felt anxious. She was now looking around at etchings of strange symbols covering walls of purple stone. She reached out a curious hand and felt the grooves of a circular symbol before her, which slowly began to glow at her touch. White light threaded its way out to adjacent glyphs and continued to spread from one to the next until eventually every figure was illuminated. Boom! The sound came from above. She looked up into the open sky, where dark clouds surged with veins of lightning. The clouds were rotating, and at their center, the great column of light extended into infinity. She thought she saw it begin to dim. Flash! Waves and waves of information continued to pour in from her traveling particle sensors as they passed through planet after planet. Dragonia, home of the dragon-riding horse lords. Bazizazaz, home of seven species of intelligent insects. Neither of these places, nor any of the others coming in, were where she had just been. The sensation she had experienced was not of the kind produced by her particle sensors. It was something else. A presence she hadn't felt since. <laughs> Flash! Trepidation in emotion. She felt uneasy. The column of light was indeed dimming, and as it dimmed, it constricted and shook like an elastic band being pulled too far. She felt small next to its vastness. She turned away from the unnerving sight, back down to the glowing glyphs on the walls around her. She somehow knew them, although she couldn't place how or from where she knew them. 
It was as if she was recalling the knowledge from afar, like it wasn't her own. It seemed like flash. Planet, asteroid, rock, organism, molecule. More and more, over and over. However, once again, she recognized none as where she had just been. Impatience flared within her. She had to be close. As she processed the increasing amount of stimuli from the expanding reach of her particle sensors, she thought of the glyphs on the purple stone walls. Thousands of intelligent organisms across her galaxy use similar characters as written language at some point in their development. Some less advanced societies continue to use them. She routed some of her energy to activate the dormant particle clusters she used as information stores. Within moments, after viewing billions of clusters, she found what she wanted. The language was developed by Flash, professors of cryptology, linguistics, and Mesopotamian and Egyptian history on Earth in the mid-21st century. This small group of academics used it as a means to share secret information, frequently in plain sight of others. The language was used by very few outside of those who created it. Confusion. An emotion. She felt perplexed. Why had that random bit of information struck her all of a sudden? Where had it come from? It told her where these symbols on the wall before her had originated, but not how to read them. She heard a voice call her name. She recognized it and turned towards its source, a middle-aged man with piercing blue eyes. He stood nearby, pointing at her. What? she asked. Look! he exclaimed as he continued to point. Look at what? she asked. Flash! There! At last her sensors had found it, the source of the disturbance. It was on... It was on... She paused. Several seconds elapsed, which was far more time than she gave for most reactions. No, she finally thought. It can't be. Flash. Your hand, Corso cried. Kale looked from his captain down to his right hand, where the ring he wore had once again, was once again glowing, by, glowing a recognizable ghostly blue. He watched as the circle of light appeared in his palm, but this time, from its center, a ray of light shot upward into his eyes. The sensation he felt at that moment was unlike anything he'd ever experienced. It felt like his mind was reaching past his own memories and into something deeper and more expansive. For less than an instant, he was overwhelmed by an unfathomable wave of stimulation, but he passed through all of it and locked onto a very specific information, piece of information. Once he had it, he looked at the wall of glyphs before him, where the symbols began to transform into vivid three-dimensional images. He saw a great blue star, connected by bridges of energy to five surrounding planets. One bridge collapsed, and the star shrunk and dimmed. Over the disconnected planet, a new object appeared. It appeared to be a spaceship, but one unlike Kale had ever seen before. It traveled around to the four remaining planets, and as it passed each, the planet's connection to the star broke, and the star would weaken. When no bridges remained, the star shriveled up and disappeared. Suddenly, the spaceship shot upward into the sky just as the light column splintered into strands of swirling blue and shattered into a blinding explosion. Kale closed his eyes reflexively and shielded himself. After the sound and the heat from the blast had dissipated, he reopened his eyes and took in a clear sky of twinkling stars. He looked into his hand, where the next leg of the map shined up at him. This time, he already knew where it would lead them. He turned to Corso. Captain, he began. 
You said the dredge were pure energy, right? (laughs) I may have mentioned it, the captain replied. (laughs) Well, Kale continued, I think we just found their off switch. He felt joy then, and admiration for the father who'd left all this behind to guide him. However, somewhere, deep down past his own emotions, something very powerful was angry and afraid, and he knew his crew was in grave danger. The end. <laughs> oh, man. Hey. I was a thinker. That, yeah, I had to pay attention through like that whole thing. That was good. I, All right, let's hear it again. <laughs> <laughs> so, so if just to clarify, just because that was... You know, very, there was a lot of language happening. You did a lot of good things, and I'll actually think about it and make something that sounds like a sentence in a moment. But first, <laughs> um, crushing I know, it. it's, it's, I'm, I'm all over the place. But uh, the question I had before you all threw me off um, was that so the, the, the Titan, it's revealing that the Titan, in fact, is a mechanism of, uh, destroying the dredge is that is that that's what the you idea yeah yeah that's the idea i like it because uh it goes against everything we know about being able to beat the dredge <laughs> because they're pure energy killing it killing it so uh man good job hey thanks it's a weird one right <laughs> yeah you, you you went for a take on this one, you know. I I, I really appreciated that. Uh, when it first started, it gave me some pleasant flashbacks to my Scholastic books reading days, where we actually did get the Dredge Queen insight. Oh, um, cool! And that was a lot of fun. Uh, I'm I'm having a little trouble processing this all and giving an immediate take because you came up with something that was so complex and so different from what I was expecting. Although you did get my secret bonus points. <laughs> what so, was yeah. that? Well done there. Yep, good well, job. Eric and I hedged our secret bonus points. Oh, uh, you. Which means we bet on both outcomes. Eric bet that you would do something very violent. And I bet that you would continue our <laughs> streak of disappointing us with the lack of Andrew violence in your script. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, nobody's a loser. I think everyone is a winner. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's but, a winner, uh, yeah. But I lost the bet. Um, you know, you did something that I always appreciate on Sham Fiction, which is that you, like Marcus said, you did have a take. You you didn't do the straight up um, the the scenes between the characters in the movie. You chose another character and did a perspective. And not only that, you chose a character that isn't even like a character at all in the movie. Um, you know, beyond maybe a glimpse, um, and you really dove into it, like head head first. You just you just jumped right in there, and you gave us something that was entirely inhuman. Um, you gave us a, a perspective of history. You gave us a perspective of how the dredge operate in a somewhat philosophical way, which is just gives us a lot more depth than anything that we see in the film. So I think you were very successful uh, in that uh, you diverted from the story. There's no way you can get this wrong. 
that's one of the things I like sure. about this because uh, by taking it a completely different way, um, you avoid uh, doing any of the character representations wrong. You avoid uh, mixing up the conflict uh and uh, you just kind of tr- blaze your own trail. Uh, and that's always fun. Yeah, so let's hear about this writing process, because I want to hear how you're approaching this before we get into more critical feedback on how it came out to us. Sure, yeah, and gladly. So I, with this one, I had been keeping pretty close to assignment for my last few fictions. And so this time... I don't think I've ever really strayed too far from the path. Maybe uh, Name of the Wind would probably be the most. But <laughs> yeah. even that, like, I tried to hit characters. Another Matt Damon movie. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, this one, I, I tried to get away from the Matt Damon a little bit. Um, so, yeah, I wanted to try something different. I want, Like you say, I wanted to take a take. I didn't, I didn't feel like just doing kind of a crew story, a job story for these guys. I wanted to do something weird. And so I latched onto the idea of the dredge because they're pure energy and they you can't beat them. <laughs> and that was interesting. It seemed like it was the most interesting to you guys, or at least as kids, you know, that you were really drawn to that bit. And it just seemed really striking, like this image and this idea. So I wanted to dive into that and write from the perspective of something that wasn't human and create a character that wasn't human, but in by having her see through a human's eyes, you know, give her human feeling and have there be some emotion to the story. Um, mm-hmm. So that was kind of uh, the the broad strokes of my approach. Yeah, you know, there's something really creepy about that too, that element where we, we do have that shift in perspective where we were starting with the Dredge Queen and we kind of have this these flashes that, that bring us into... Cole's head, which is spooky because it tells me that that the 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 dredge queen like can I don't know invade the minds of others somehow that there's some connection between our protagonist and our antagonist that uh, is a mystery and maybe I missed some details in uh, the presentation here but it is it 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 darkens my outlook of Titan AE in general. Yeah, I read that as uh, something that Kale had a tie from the ring to the Titan to the Dredge, that that was the connection, not just that the Queen could read into everyone's mind. But I, I got a little, I have to admit, I was, it was a little shaky once we did transition to Kale as to what was going on, and I felt like the sense of place was very confused once we left kind of the white room of the dredge queen's mind so when we're exploring from her she's like in in space which is like the the biggest white room you can get and she's expanding out and we're getting little flashes of vivid detail of these concrete things and i thought that was so cool i wrote hairless bipedal apes that's us no i'm so excited about that uh but then when it did latch on, I didn't really feel like I got grounded to where Kale and Corso were. Okay. And that made it a little bit confusing when Kale was making the discovery about the dredge breaking in and how that relates to the Titan project. So I just kind of lost my sense of place when we made that transition. You know, that uh, that didn't bother me at all. 
Um, your description of like this purple wall with uh, glyphs that kind of go throughout the whole story, we keep jumping back to that image. To me, that felt like perfect Titan AE, where, hey, they're on a planet, they've found an important rock <laughs> with uh, important-looking writing on it. That's all That's all I needed. In fact, that's the sort of stuff that really ground, like, ground me. Um, because all of this stuff inside the uh, the Dredge Queen's mind is so ethereal and so spacey and so uh, hyper-reality in a lot of ways. Um, and I use that word just because I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's a fancy word people use to describe when they don't know what they're talking about. Um, but having all those elements, which gave me a lot of feelings, a lot of shapes, a lot of color, but not a lot of uh, concrete uh, sense, were grounded when we got to that uh, moment where we're with Cole and they're, they've unlocked a clue to finding the Titan and what they're there to do. Um, that kind of brought it all together for me and recontextualized everything that I had heard up until that point. And what I think is fun about this is that I'm really excited to actually go back and listen to it again now that I know what the connection is going to be, now that I know that there's this connection to Cole's mind that we get, um, to be able to uh, reanalyze everything. Um, so I wish we, we could do it on live on the show so that I could, I could give you more feedback, but I think <laughs> it's good because it makes me want to read it again. And that's, that's a sign of good writing. Thanks. Sure. Hopefully it's not just that you were confused and it's confusing writing. <laughs> but, it, but it intrigued uh, me. That's the thing. It kept me in. It hooked me because it was so different and out there and weird and unexpected that I wanted to know more. I do have to point out, Eric, it's kale with, with an ale instead of coal with an uh, ale. A couple eh. times. Eh. Just... Just something I, I think about for the listeners who might be driving in their car going, it's Kale! <laughs> no. Because <laughs> so, I'm that listener I'm all the sorry, time. <laughs> Matt Damon, I got your character's name wrong. Yeah. <laughs> in your mind, that's just yeah, Matt that's Damon it. driving exactly, <laughs> Listening to Titan A, you sham fiction. Hey guys, it's Kale! <laughs> <laughs> that's what Matt Damon sounds like, huh? I don't remember being in the name of the wind. (laughs) (laughs) He could kill me with one punch. Fantastic. Yes. So, Andrew, I'm I'm really glad that Eric and I kind of had opposite reactions to this. Because I think that illustrates well what risks you take when you do something so off base. So... Like Eric said, I completely agree. This is an exercise, and it's fantastic to see you stretch like this. I think that's the point of sham fiction. I love doing some things that are more experimental with it. Uh, However, I did feel like I kind of lost that sense of momentum as it was going on. The, The shock and the attempt to contextualize that I got from the first couple minutes of your story... Of Okay, so the, the dredge, this is how she's experiencing. I think that wore off for me a little bit before the story made the pivot. And so that could be part of why I felt differently when we did switch to Kale. That I wanted to see more of a concrete there or more of a conflict between her and Kale and Corso. So I really appreciated what you were going for here. But it didn't connect 100% with me. 
Sure, yeah, and I know what you mean. It's like that escalation, you know, you're trying to build up that conflict, this battle. And the way I wrote it with my intention, and perhaps this was something that, you know, on a, dr- a second draft I really would have hit, was the pull between the two characters. Um, because mm-hmm. in this, as it is, um, we're seeing it from the Queen's perspective, but she doesn't really know what's going on like even though she is this all-knowing creature she doesn't know what's going on and i didn't really pull in this conflict of like kale is somehow cognizant that he is fighting her and like taking something from her um so that's not really there um but it's a discovery thing and i guess i was in this draft more leaning towards okay this is more like we are with the queen we are discovering something and the conflict is just like what are we discovering um Mm -hmm. Which is different, but yes, I understand how that doesn't have quite the immediacy of something that would be more like, oh, she is fighting for control from this guy, or vice versa. But it's it's the perfect way to do a first draft thing like this. And all, all of the sham fictions that we show on this podcast are first drafts, right? Uh, so I got a lot of the feeling, and I got a lot of the concepts. So if you did have another take to clarify the story, to do a little bit more with a... Uh, through line to maybe pace out how much we're in discovery mode versus the more active role uh, it could be very very strong so really you did give me a sense of an alien intelligence which is one of my favorite things in science fiction (laughs) when an author writes about someone or something that doesn't think like a human that has different considerations and tries to allow us to imagine what that could be like excellent there thank you yeah that's uh Definitely what I was going for, trying something like that. I'd done a writing exercise like this similarly, like right from the perspective of something that's inhuman. And so I kind of saw this as an opportunity to try something like that again, which I enjoyed. It's a great exercise. Mm -hmm. And very well done. All right. Are we at bonus points? Or not bonus points. Are we at final score time? I think so. Well, uh, I can begin. Um, So... Please. Uh, first of all, as far as bonus points goes, from me, um, you did mention a couple of uh, of animal-based alien monsters, which I appreciate, particularly the dragon-riding horse people. Uh, <laughs> ain't nothing wrong with that. From Dragonia? <laughs> exactly. Um and uh, the the there's a line that is actually giving you uh, a, a good good uh, good number of points from me is the uh, presence she hadn't felt since. <laughs> <laughs> so any Star Wars reference usually usually works for me. Um, so um, because of the bon- those bonus points things, and although I didn't get my prediction right uh, because you didn't in fact do a hyperviolent sort of Andrew story um, and you went a completely different route that doesn't harm you at all. Uh, I'm going to give you a solid, um, I want to say four and a half out of five of the connected planets in the solar system. Ooh, Mm -hmm. nice. I enjoyed it. Very well done. Awesome. Thanks, man. Yeah. I'm glad we got to talk this one through. Uh, because it's changed my perspective again a bit. From the onset, I was a little disappointed for being thoroughly honest, which we always are with you and our listeners. <laughs> that, especially when we talk about how we record the show, <laughs> uh, wasn't Civil War great, everybody? Okay. Um, 
Uh, for our audience at home, we are recording it months in advance. I just I just do it to get a rise out of me. I hate it. I hate um, it so much. So I was a little, little disappointed at first that we didn't see these characters who are such fun characters because I had really wanted to see you play with this team dynamic and kind of get the space western thing. But you you took it and you did your own direction, and I can't really fault you for going off on that. And this is the kind of thing that I would like to see explored in an ancillary work, not just with a fan fiction. If someone's going to write more in a universe, this is the role short stories can play. They can tell us things that you couldn't do within a major narrative, and they can be experiments. So you get a lot of credit for that. Uh, so I'm going to try to make up for some of the violence that you didn't have oh, here. gosh. Because although you did get my secret bonus points of not having violence, I really didn't want you to get my secret bonus points. And you did get my normal bonus points of having the pure energy relevant to the plot <laughs> and to the solution. So, well done there. Uh, you didn't have the line, how's it floating, which I thought was just a gimme. Uh, that would have been full marks right there. But <laughs> I want the Dredge Queen to ask somebody, how's it floating? <laughs> that was my number one ask in the prediction segment. Yeah. <laughs> But I'm going to give you 8 out of 10 massacred alien corpses. Hey. Uh, <laughs> which is only a fraction of what I was hoping to see in this piece. <laughs> but but well done. Uh, <laughs> thank you. This movie, at one point, I don't think we talked about it in the description. There's this like peppy little grasshopper-like cook oh, character. Yeah. And he's just all all charming, and he gets straight up murdered by just the zapped, oh, no! exploded, just just exploded. Yep. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> so that's that's what I was thinking. That's that's what happened. Eight out of ten. Well, thank you, thank you, sir, for all those alien corpses. Yeah. Uh, I will cherish them <laughs> until I am a human corpse. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, all right, guys. Where can we where can we find Titan A? Where can where can I watch it now that I have written my sham fiction? Oh heck! You can check this out on uh, on some uh, what is it on Netflix? No, it's not on Netflix. It's not. You got you got to pay for it. You got to rent it. You got to buy it. So Amazon. It's worth it. Okay. It is worth it. Your Amazon. You go to your your Sam Goody, your uh, Suncoast Motion Pictures, <laughs> oh, no. your Media Play. Check out. Yeah, check out the local blockbuster uh, video update. Talk about you know, corpses. Adventures in video. If you're in Bloomington. <laughs> Yeah, uh, that's fantastic. So go to any of those places, uh, you know. Just travel back to uh, the early two thousands and and rent the heck out of this movie. Uh, awesome. You won't be disappointed. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm gonna do it, and I hope our listeners do as well. Any final thoughts before we sign off? Just always remember, listeners, that you can't beat the dredge because they're pure energy. So <laughs> don't try. Okay. Great. That's all I was yeah, going to say. I mean, we've made a lot of jokes about it, but seriously, if you ever see a dredge, don't even try to beat it because it's pure energy. <laughs> and until know. next time, either of you guys are my dad, so <laughs> I'm going to try. I'm going to give it the old. Until next track. time, keep it floating, guys. <laughs> yeah, bye bye. This has been Sham bye. Fiction. Sham Fiction is produced by Two Jackets Productions, which is Eric Carlson, Marcus Mann, and Andrew Neal. Special thanks to Reed Reimer for providing the music. For a full list of episodes and to read this week's fiction, visit shamfiction.com. 
Follow us on Twitter at ShamFiction, and please don't forget to subscribe and rate the show. ShamFiction. Write what you don't know. All right, listen up, because I'm not going to f*** around here, since I got two of the juiciest f- you've ever seen waiting in my helicopter with a load of lewds and a set of f- that say but Anyway, just be sure to tune in next week to Sham Fiction for a tasty little peek into Wall Street and whatever. Bye.